Welcome, change agents. I'm so glad you're here. This is Cheryl Klein, and you're listening to the Limitless Leader Podcast. Hi there, Cheryl here. Today is an extremely special day. I am so excited for this important conversation with Carlana Datimu, Principal Manager, Customer Advocacy Group, and Microsoft Teams Engineering. Carlana, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Now, I cannot wait to talk about managing your personal and professional PL. I want to know what that means and how I can do it better. And I think that's such a great topic uh, for women in the workplace as well. But before we jump in, I would love to know if you don't mind sharing, you know, was there something or someone that inspired you to greatness? I mean, what sparked your interest and how did you get to where you are today? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I have to say no, there wasn't a person or individual. Really, my path into technology um, was just a very a series of events. You know, I have a creative background. Um, when I was young, I was a dancer. I moved to Los Angeles with all sorts of stars in my eyes. And uh, technology was my day job. Instead of uh, waiting tables, I worked in uh, as a paralegal in a law firm. And then I got really interested in technology that was specific to that industry. Um, and eventually I kept getting promoted in this business. And, um, you know, at some point when you get promoted, you have to make a choice. And I chose technology. So um, I do not have a degree in tech in any way, shape or form. Um, and so, you know, I really feel like my path here has been out of interest and curiosity and opportunity uh, more than being inspired by any one person. That's so interesting. I really want to highlight something that you said and that, you know, you don't have the degree and it wasn't this, you know, clear cut path. And so for anyone listening, if you're like, wow, so, you know, technology or something else sounds really interesting in me. But when I was in my 20s, I didn't study this. I wasn't on that path. You know, I think this is going to be an ongoing message that we're going to say is to just go for it. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of things that we talked about, you know, before we went live, that you're really walking the walk and living that. So I look forward to getting into that, you know, in a moment. And so... Now, is there any, if you think about, you know, your journey from when you maybe started off to make ends meet so you could do your true love, you know, and then you decided, wait a minute, I'm pretty good in this. I'm getting promoted. So I think maybe this might be my career. Was there ever any a time when things went sideways or maybe you got rejected or you had a setback? Um, but then you dusted off and decided to move forward anyway? Oh, 100%. I, I think that the moments in my career when I have learned the most have been the, from the things that have been most painful. And so while you might put it in the loss category of your P&L, I actually consider it to be on the profit side. Uh, because those things that have made me grow as a professional, good example. So I had my own company for a while. I've been at Microsoft for a decade now, but before that I had my own company. <clears throat> and I started that company after leaving a, um, a vice president position in New York at a professional services firm. And I thought, hey, now's a good time for me to start my own company. Um, except less than seven or eight months later, 9-11 um, happened. And most of my customers were in New York. 
And so that really decimated um, my new company. And I had to pivot and um, really get scrappy about how I was going to grow that company and take in different lines of business and do different things. Um, so, you know, I think I've read a lot of, you know, MBA books. I don't have an MBA, but I tend to read all the books on the on the uh, on the program list. You know, that's one of the ways I've self-educated over time. But I think that 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 year and a half in my life really taught me the most about being a manager through difficult times, um, whether it was the, you know, the dot com bust, the recession after 9-11. You know, there's been different times, COVID for many people out there now where, you know, the business environment becomes super challenging. And that's really when you begin to grow as a manager, as a leader, um, providing, you know, comfort to people who are following you and provide clarity for folks and um, do what you can to show empathy to yourself first and then to others after that. Yeah, 100%. And it sounds like in those times or when you get forced to be creative, yeah. You know, like it feels like in a way we're moving into that environment again, at least I know from a couple of the companies and the leaders that I work with where in some cases COVID was actually good for business. Yes. You know, and then it was like barreling along and everything was amazing. And like the salespeople didn't really have to sell and it was more of a supply issue. And now we're entering into a different season. Yes, for sure. We are. And, you know, and I think that that's, it's, I love that you use that word season because I think people sometimes seek continuity and that's not the way of my career or of my life. There are seasons to things and being able to flow with that, right? Being able to recognize the signs that the leaves are changing before they do, um, you know, for me has been a really big skill I've tried to learn more of. And that I wish somebody had taught me when I was younger, because I don't think I understood these things when I was younger in my career. I think I had certain expectations about how things were going to be. And now I realize that it's really about the relationships I create with people around me and being able to slow down to speed up and being able to invest in places where I feel like I'm getting an emotional and professional return. You know, that that really helps me navigate those seasons with people around me that I think get my skills and talent and what I bring to the table. Yeah, so, so important. I love that you said to slow down before you speed up. Um, 100%. It's so, so important these days. And, you know, so just to parlay, you know, something else really important that you said, and, um, and I was wondering if you were speaking with the younger, well, clearly you're still young, but the <laughs> younger Caruana, what, you know, what advice would you have for the younger Caruana, which might be great advice for us all? Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I feel like I didn't have a lot of uh, super positive family structure or uh, people in my environment that I was observing her really successful. I didn't have a lot of that. Uh, my family history is, is somewhat chaotic. Um, and I think that the result of that was that I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself when I was younger. And I wish somebody, anybody would have told me, just go for it, right? Just go for it. Don't listen so much to the ideas of who other people think you are, right? Take the time to try to figure out who you want to be. How do you want to show up? Have fun with things. Um, you know, stop worrying about um, impact and measures and start worrying about the legacy you're leaving and the relationships around you and the businesses that you have. 
Um, you know, I, I, I really wish I would have freed myself from the, the tether of other people's opinions earlier in my career. Um, because now at this point, I really have integrated my creative career. Like I'm on-air talent for Microsoft. I'm a technical storyteller and editor at Microsoft along with doing the product work I do. So I've really merged my creative desires and my technology acumen together in one job. And I didn't even know that that was possible because I kept trying to fit into other people's buckets instead of making my own, right? And, you know, that uniqueness, your uniqueness is an asset. It's not a limitation. And I certainly didn't know that when I was younger. So I want to highlight and repeat, first of all, free yourself. That should be on a sticky note on every woman's computer, <laughs> Yes. Myself. Yes. A lot of times we have some self-imposed fear and doubt limitations that we put on ourselves, which is understandable because the reason, you know, we won't spend today talking about the reason, but, you know, we're up against some cultural indoctrinations that make that totally normal. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't push through, you know, like you did. And I think when you said that your uniqueness is your strength. It's just a different dialogue that we're having with ourselves, right? Not like, right. well, you know, I'm kind of strange because my background is this and everyone else's background is that. But how powerful is it when you turn that around and say, how powerful I, this can be that my background is this? In other words, what do I bring to the table um, that's uniquely me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as a woman of color, a woman in technology, um, a bisexual woman, uh, you know, all of these things people used to call three strikes. Um, actually, I think I'm a triple threat. I think that that is a positive, uh, you know, it gives me positive capabilities and quite frankly, a diverse and unique perspective when it comes to product development or community management or business management or career development. Like pick a topic and my perspective is probably going to be unique, as is everyone else's. And it's that that is really the diversity of thought and style that you want to drive. If you want an inclusive, high performing team, uh, you know, you have to make people feel like their uniqueness is what you're seeking, that they feel included at that seat in the table. Getting the seat at the table is not enough, right? You need to feel like you're included in the conversation, like you're valued in the dialogue. And so I, I feel like that's something that we can all do. We can all lean in and make people feel valued in the dialogues that you're having with them uh, in, in at the right time and at the right place, right? And so, you know, I, it took me a really, really long time to be able to say these things about myself without um, choking up or saying the word, well, I'm just this, or I'm just a little bit of this, or, you know, I, I don't have a degree in technology, but I'm still like good at this, right? Like coming from that position of being less than instead of being just enough. Right. Mm -hmm. um, if that's one other thing I would tell my younger self is that she's enough. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have to be anything else and she doesn't have to compare herself to other people. And if I can remember that every day for the rest of my life, I will, I will do just fine. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And there's a saying that was one of actually with one of my coaching mentors is that like new level, new devil. So we yeah. need to consistently, it's not like, Oh, I got that down. No, you, know, you get pulled into a bigger arena or into, you know, you have a seat at one table. Now you have a seat at the next table. 
And you want to remember this so to make sure you have a voice at that table. Right. And I, I love what you said about other other people being mindful of this, but I think we as women, especially women who are further marginalized within within our gender, it it's a combination of both and right. feeling like we belong and also being, you know, having allies to be proactive yes. and reminding. And um, so that is so important. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I love that you just mentioned allies too. I was talking with somebody just this week about the fact that to me, an ally is someone who speaks well of me or represents my interests when I'm not in the room. And, you know, truthfully, I can count on, you know, some fingers, the, the true allies that I have in my life. And I value those people. And so in return, I put time into those relationships. And I feel like, um, you know, with the speed and the pace of change that we're all dealing with in this business and many others, um, that taking that time to slow down and really invest and understand what is important to that other person. How can you best be an ally to them? Um, you know, how can I take my uniqueness and my platform and my very presence and help someone else? You know, that that has really been that being of service to others um, is probably the cornerstone of all the successes that I have you know, experienced in the last 15 years. Uh, and and before that, but really, I had a much bigger focus on that over the last decade and a half. And it has benefited, you know, my life and I hope the lives of some other people um, to no end. It is put service, being of service and being helpful to others in a, a reciprocal way, not at the expense of myself, uh, at the top of, of my list of, of methods. Yeah. And I, <clears throat> excuse me, I love that you brought that up. And something that I think that emerging leaders may not think of is that they have the ability to contribute as well. Right. So in other words, it's not just the leader being proactive with, someone who they might be mentoring or they might be an ally or sponsor for, but about, you know, uh, emerging leaders uh, or those who are looking up for some help or hand to be forward thinking and very explicit about what they love, what they're good at, what they're proud of. And I think that can be really important too. What do you think about that? Oh, I absolutely agree. And, you know, we've heard a lot over the last maybe five or 10 years about bringing your authentic self to work. And sometimes I think people gloss over that, right? Um, because most people don't know who their authentic self is. And it's a discovery process, you know, and it continues. I love what you said about the fact that, you know, new, new table, new, new level, new level, new devil, whatever that was, you know, because it's so true that it's such a journey that we go on. And I get so much energy and insight and growth from the people that I mentor. They have no idea how much they help me. I, I tell them that all the time, but they are the ones giving me energy. They are the ones giving me inspiration. I like to see the world through the eyes of others and especially emerging leaders, people coming up in their career. Um, because truthfully, I don't it's not possible to remember everything about what it was like for you, you know, a couple of decades ago. And so, and besides that knowledge is somewhat not relevant for today's emerging leaders. It is a completely different landscape. So sharing that landscape with me, sharing their ideas, it helps them discover themselves and it helps me, you know, stay really connected to what is happening in what I like to term the real world or truth from the trenches, right? Um, because the danger of being at 
um, ever increasingly large tables is that you forget what it was like to eat fast food. You know, I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget what it was like to be at the beginning of my career because then I can craft programs and content and things that I do to be helpful to those people. You know, the most important thing I can do is, is help others who are coming up along this path. Um, because also my pathway was very circuitous. Like it was not a direct pathway to the chair I sit in today or the next chair I'm going to be in. And so, you know, um, if somebody else wants to come along this path, hopefully I can smooth it out for them a little bit. Yeah, that is so amazing. And then uh, along those lines, if someone's like, yes, I want to do that. But, you know, being a mental toughness and high performance coach, I, I have to know that they're, you know, there are tools that are required to be able to do this. We can conceptually understand this, but we have to have the mindset and the mental toughness to be able to do it. And so clearly you're walking the walk. You've done this before. So if you were sharing with the audience the mindset that's allowed you to um, keep making forward progress, you know, through a securitist route, maybe sometimes when it went sideways, sometimes when it went up, what is the mindset that's helped you to be successful? Well, you know, I feel like I'm pretty confident that I do the best I can. And when I say I do the best I can, I mean that with some precision, meaning I've done my homework. Like I don't, I don't have to be, I don't aspire to be a know-it-all or a know-everything, but I do inspire to be well-educated. And so I mentioned that I've read lots of books on the on the MBA study list. I self-study a lot. I'm, I'm constantly curious, but curiosity with a purpose, right? In terms of continuing to hone my craft. I'm very proud of my craft. I like what I'm able to do as a business solution architect, as a, as a you know, creative media producer, as on-air talent. And I continually try to get better. And one of the things that I've done around that is really, really openly taking feedback. Constructive criticism is a gift. I don't mean when somebody's trying to bully me or be mean or you know embarrass me in front of a bunch of people, but I actively seek out criticism of my performance, of my program, of my communication style, whatever it may be, be especially from people who I respect and people who are better at those things than me, right? I don't want to play like the team I'm on. I want to play like the team I want to be on. So I'm constantly looking at leaders in my environment and, and kind of evaluating and reviewing how they approach problem solving or conflict resolution or, you know, a morale building on their team and trying to learn from them. So staying curious with the purpose, doing my homework, making sure I'm studied up on various and sundry topics that are relevant to my role and really deeply being open to feedback um, have been three things that, you know, again, I wish I would have learned earlier. I used to take feedback as a, as a deep and personal criticism. I had a pretty large chip on my shoulder when I was young and in this business because I thought I was trying to prove myself. And one of my early bosses at Microsoft, he said, listen, Caruana, you got the job. You don't have to keep proving yourself. You can exhale. And I burst into tears. It was one of the few times that I've ever cried at work mm -hmm. uh, because he hit such a chord in me. It was one of those times where I was really trying to feel like I was enough and I didn't. And, you know, I've carried that with me. Like I have this job. I got the job. I don't have to prove something. I have to have fun and I have to do it well. I have to hone the craft of what I'm trying to do. And, and I can't do that in a vacuum. Right. And so, you know, those moments where I've really felt stressed 
or like the program wasn't going well, or my boss didn't think I was doing a good job. And I've had many, many of those moments um, and certainly a few that have really stuck out. Those have been my growth opportunities to try to repivot and take that feedback in, even if it's unfounded. I don't have to agree with someone's feedback, but I do need to listen if I want to grow. Um, and then I can kind of parse out, you know, what is, you know, quote unquote, valid feedback based on the source and what is maybe someone else's perception that they're trying to put into my behavior. Um, yeah, you know, that's a I'm nuance. sorry, go ahead. No, I just say it's a subtle nuance sometimes, but sometimes it's important to, to really check the source of the feedback that you're getting. You know, not all feedback is created equal. Uh, that is 100% true. <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up. And I love that curiosity with a purpose. I think that's another hashtag. I'm writing down lots of quotes and hashtags during this conversation. <laughs> and then when it comes to managing your personal and professional PL, what exactly does that mean? And can you share us share with us the best way to do that or to get started? Well, you know, I we came up with this in our conversation earlier, but it's a concept that I've had in my life for a long time in that. You know, many of us are senior leaders in organizations where we manage a profit and loss statement. We're used to balancing items and making sure that at the end of the day, there's a net profit. But we don't often apply that same rigor to our personal lives, to our own careers, to our own development. And, you know, some days there's a profit in the operational area that is my career. And other days, the profit area happens to be my personal life. What matters is, is I'm creating value and equity for myself over time. It's just another metaphor for creating balance, but I am a project manager at heart. I'm an architect at heart. I like a plan. <laughs> I like a plan with categories and things and levers that I can maneuver and feel like I can give myself the illusion of some control, right? I mean, and I think that, you know, there's some things in life you can't control, but there's an awful lot that we can and what I do with my time, which is my number one asset that I have to share in the world, and my attention uh, is very important. And attention management has been a top conversation that we've had, certainly in my business, but in many others. And so, you know, if attention is the currency, where am I spending it? And where is it being taken from me? Uh, and where do I need to maybe, uh, you know, stop the hemorrhaging, reduce costs a little bit? Um, for me right now, especially in this current environment, um, you know, prioritization is everything. And that comes with my time. Like I'm a caregiver, right? My husband's had some health challenges. I, I take care of him. I take care of my aging mom. Um, I was taking care of two aging parents, you know, aging folks in my life previously. One of them recently passed away. There's that and my career and what I like to do for the community, women in tech and, and the community at large. And so there's a lot of things I like to, to participate in, but it has to balance out with my own health, um, with time for my relationship, with time to just stare at the ceiling, right? Because people don't prioritize that off time as they should. So my construct for managing that is this profit and loss and making sure you're accruing equity and really understanding attention as currency in your life uh, and, and being mindful about how you spend it uh, and about what's generating and giving you back energy. I do have a, a little bit of a rule at work, um, no jerks. Um, and so I go, I don't try to convince people of my talent anymore. If you're not into what I bring to the table, I don't need to convince you. That's okay. There's plenty of work in the world. I can go work on something else where people are, are excited and enthusiastic about what I particularly offer. 
Um, and that goes to efficiencies. And you know how you see companies cut their product lines. Well, I have certainly done that with my projects and with the time and things that I invest in. So I just want, you know, I just would hope that people will take more time to focus on their attention and where they're giving it and what energy and attention they're getting back and, and make sure that they're getting that profit in their lives in whatever way works for them. Because I do think there's this myth that we all need to have some kind of wonderfully balanced life between home and work. For me, that doesn't work. It, it, it just isn't how my life works. There are times when I spend more time on my home life and there are a lot of times when I spend a lot of time on my work, but I love my work. My work is my passion. You know, I, I absolutely adore my job, so it doesn't feel like work. Um, but I have to make sure that, you know, I do attend to the relationships that I care about in my life. So, um, you know, any metaphor will work. Pick one. <laughs> but this is the one I pick because it makes sense to me. And um, it does give me more kind of categories of <clears throat> attention and, and influence and management than maybe in some of the other metaphors I've used for this kind of balance creation over time. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. And then one thing I want to introduce too that if you're doing a PL or another way of, you know, measuring your impact and well being in the world is that, you know, don't have guilt. Like, for oh, yeah. example, I'll throw out here my husband's an extrovert. He could be around people 24 7. He loves, 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 loves being around people all the time. Uh, and then me, I love being around people. Don't get me wrong, but I'm an introvert. So it takes a lot out, you know, I need to kind of decompress. Like at the end of the year, I go away for three or four days by myself up to Sonoma, which is the wine country near where I live. And I, I you know, people say, oh, that's weird. Like you're not going with a girlfriend. You're not going with your wife. What? I'm like. I love I that. I love that idea. I used to take myself on retreats all the time. People think I'm an extrovert because I can talk forever and I do love people and it doesn't take a lot of energy for me to do it, but I require my alone time. And the reason that my relationship works is because my husband understands that he wouldn't bat an eyelash if I wanted to go on a yoga retreat for four days by myself. He would think that that was totally normal, but it is true. I have dealt with guilt when it comes to balancing time like that for myself against things I think I should do for my aging mom or against things I think I should do for my community or things I think I should do for my extended family, right? But what I've come to realize is if I don't invest in myself in ways that work for me, I won't be truly present for all those other things, right? And sometimes it just means I just need to sleep in and not talk to anyone on Sunday, right? It doesn't have to be complicated, but I don't feel guilty about that anymore. I used to very deeply and I have at times, but for the most part now I realize because I got really sick also, <laughs> by yeah, and then, you know, so that's to my point exactly. You know, you worry about, you know, as women, you're like, it's in our DNA, we're caregivers, like we take care of people. But, you know, we got to put our oxygen mask on first because, to your yes. point, if we don't, then you're, then, you know, the universe or, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever you believe in, right, gives you subtle signs. Oh, I'm a little tired. I have a little stuffy nose. You don't listen. You don't listen. Then, wham, you get decked. And then you're no good to anyone. That's right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So the, the message is you don't need it for everyone listening. You absolutely don't need it for us, but permission granted with no guilt to take care of yourself. A hundred percent. You will be in the, you know, I really learned this at the beginning of the pandemic 
there was so much happening for us uh, in Microsoft, nothing compared to healthcare workers and what have you. But in technology, we had this, um, and in Microsoft Teams in particular, huge growth in the use of our service for video meetings and what have you, all of these rapid deployments, supporting governments, supporting local agencies, supporting hospitals and healthcare and schools. There was a lot going on. And but I really, really learned um, my key phrase now, which is that speed kills. Like you really had to slow down to validate your requirements, to make time with people, like going too fast from meeting to meeting or in conversation back to back all day long. It was really detrimental to our ability to be creative, to problem solve, to be present. You need emotional elasticity with other people to operate at speed. And you can't create emotional connection and elasticity with people if you're only breezing by them in some random video meeting. So, you know, it's been very important for me to be present for relationships in a different way. And it's not something I do great every day. Let's be clear. Like this is growth for me to slow down. I have a tendency to run too fast and do too many things. And so slowing down, being clear about priorities, managing my own P&L, these are all things that I continually try to get better at myself. So it's not like, oh, I'm sitting here saying I'm amazing at this. These are things that I continue to talk about. So I'll remind myself to stick to it and walk the walk of doing what I'm telling other people to do. Right. So it's a journey. Yeah. That's why us coaches love being coaches, because as we're coaching, we're like, oh, okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's 100 percent true. Right. So. And then, so for everyone listening, I mean, you shared so many gold nuggets of wisdom. What is the, if you could boil it down to one call to action or one thing for people to do or remember, what have you, what would that be? What do you want to leave everyone with? I think, you know, besides free yourself and manage your attention, you know, it's it's really about, as cheesy as this might sound, it's for me, let me me back up and say, for me, it's been about self-confidence. I never believed in myself when I was younger. And I wish that I would have had somebody say, embrace your journey, whatever direction it takes you, be present in the moment, learn from others and keep going. You got this, right? Like just tell, you know, tell yourself you got this. Um, A teacher long ago taught me about turning down the volume knob in my head for that self-critic voice. And I still practice that every day. When it starts to come out and tell me all the things I could do different and better and blah, 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 I just gently turn down the volume on that and remind myself that I got this. I can do this. And it's not because it's me alone, but because I've developed relationships with other people where I can go to for answers. I can be transparent with them about my doubts and questions. I can get guidance for them. It's not that I've got this because I'm amazing. It's that I've got this because I've built around me a community of people who, who see me and hear me and that I trust. It doesn't have to be 50 people. You know, I'm talking about six people in my life, right? That I can go to as my council of guides, right? I think that sometimes we underappreciate um, our ancestors and our elders in this kind of American culture. And so I make a concerted effort to have that kind of energy in my life and trusted um, emerging leaders that can really help me navigate the world. So, you know, believe in yourself. You got this. Um, and so, if you need help, reach out. And that is so important. So for everybody listening, just remember when you hear that negative voice to maybe acknowledge it, turn down the volume and remember 
that you got this and don't be afraid to reach out for help. Karana, thank you so much for your time and sharing some of your amazing wisdom. I look forward to following your journey. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode, follow or subscribe to the Limitless Leader podcast with Cheryl Klein on whatever podcast platform you use. We'll let you know every time we release a new episode. And if you really enjoyed what you've heard so far, rate and review us too. That's one of the best ways that you can support us and make sure that this podcast keeps going. And also, I offer a significant library of free mental toughness and high-performance videos, worksheets, tips, and other helpful content on my website at www.cherylkline.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Cheryl Klein, and I look forward to having you back next time. And remember, you're only limited by what you think is possible. Cheering you on always.